0: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After this episode, go to ChristianQuestions.com to check out other episodes, Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more. Today's topic is, How do I know if I've really forgiven someone? Coming up in this episode, to make a mistake is human, to forgive is divine. This sounds like a nice thing, but what do we do when someone is hurt us badly? Are we supposed to
1: just forgive them and say goodbye to their consequences as well? How does the Bible teach us to balance true forgiveness with godly justice? Here's Rick, Jonathan, and Julie. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host, for over 25 years, and Julie, a longtime CQ contributor, is also with us. Jonathan, what's our theme scripture for this episode?
0: Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you.
1: We all have been wronged by someone. Sometimes the wrong is especially deep and hurtful, and we're debilitated by it. We've all also heard the saying, forgive and forget. Well, the forgiving part sounds like a really magnanimous Christian thing to do. However, it can be deeply challenging depending upon the kind of hurt that we've suffered. The forgetting part Well, that can be overwhelmingly difficult, and in many cases, it might not even be possible. So, what's a Christian to do then? How do we know who and when to forgive? Are the biblical rules for forgiving always the same? What if I forgive and really mean it, then begin to feel like I want to change my mind? (laughs)
2: These are big questions. First, we need to establish a biblical perspective of forgiveness. And there are several words translated forgive or forgiveness in the New Testament. And many of us have preconceived ideas on what forgiveness means because we use the word all the time. But is it used the same way today as it was in the New Testament?
0: We will focus on only two of these New Testament Greek words today. The first shows us the most comprehensive type of forgiveness in the scripture, and it means A release from bondage or imprisonment, or forgiveness or pardon of sins, letting them go as if they had never been committed, remission of the penalty.
1: So, this is a very definitive forgiveness and clearly is fulfilled by the sacrifice of Jesus. It's shown to apply first to those who are called out to follow Jesus. So, this is applied but it's not applied to everybody all at once. Its first application is those who are called out to follow Jesus.
0: This is on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit, God's power and influence, was given to the apostles. Devout Jewish men witnessed what happened, and Peter gives them a long explanation of their national history, prophecy, and the resurrection of Christ. The account continues with him telling these men in Acts 2, 36-39. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, meaning pardon or remission of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord of our God will call to himself.
2: This is a big deal because previously, as we know, the only way to have a standing before God was to follow the Old Testament law and its detailed atonement day sin offering requirements year after year.
0: Now moving forward, the remission of sins would be through Jesus. This was a radical change for this audience.
2: Exactly. But let's be specific. In the literal context, who was pardoned? It was this multitude of Jewish men. And what were they repenting from? What sin was being pardoned? They were told to repent for the nation of Israel having Jesus crucified. But Rick, how does this apply to faithful Christians now?
1: Well, this was the initiation of Christianity. This was the introduction of Christianity. And you have to start somewhere. And so you start with those who were there with the crucifixion of Jesus and say, repent for your sins. Yes, those sins. But it's also a broader perspective because Jesus' blood is what takes sins away. This is, And this is the important part. So this was the initiation, the beginning of Christianity, and this would expand as the New Testament developed. And we'll see that in, in the following scriptures. See, the objective of this forgiveness, being first given to the called out ones, is important to realize. And so we're going to see that objective, and then we're going to pile on after that what happens to the rest of the world, because we're only focusing in on those who are called to follow Christ right now, and their forgiveness, their pardon in Jesus. Jonathan, let's go to Ephesians 1, 6-10. To the praise
0: of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness, again the same word meaning pardon or remission, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, Jesus, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth in him. Well, Rick, when it says with a view to an administration suitable to the
1: fullness of times, what does that mean? This is talking to the called-out ones. Now, this is written to the Ephesians. This is, a, this is a, uh, a Gentile Christian group. So this is expanded beyond that Pentecost environment. And it's saying, A view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. In other words, you're called for a purpose. You're called to be reconcilers. You must be in position faithfully so that the rest of the world, summing all things in the heavens and things on the earth to him, to be able to help that to happen. That's why Jesus' forgiveness, Jesus' pardon is given to the called-out ones first. God, through Jesus, satisfied justice for all. A life for a life which provided true forgiveness, true pardon, not just for the called-out ones, but for everyone.
2: All right, let's set the context for our next test text. We have Jesus is in a synagogue. He's in Nazareth. And visiting Jews were often asked to do the daily scripture reading of the Hebrew scriptures. It just so happened to be that he was reading from Isaiah 61, a prophecy about Jesus himself. So he starts quoting the parts about what he, as the Lamb of God, was fulfilling at that time. Let's read from Luke 4, 17 to 18.
0: And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release, that word for pardon, to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free, again, the same word for pardon, those who are oppressed. He continues by telling everyone that he was fulfilling this sacred prophecy right in front of them. It was about freedom from the captives.
1: Everyone born in Adam is in a prison house of sin and death. And that's such a big thing that he read this and said, here's what I'm here to do. This release is not just an opening of the door of the prison and being released or, or being released from feeling oppressed. It's not, just, it's not a little thing. It's a big thing. It's a full pardon that brings freedom. It's saying what happened is no longer relevant. It's an opportunity to go on and live without the previous shackles of sin and death, and without Satan's dictatorial rule. That's what it means to pardon. That's what the blood of Jesus does. Now, as you already mentioned, this kind of forgiveness never existed before. You couldn't find it anywhere. The Old Testament law did foreshadow it, but it could not accomplish it. And it's stated very plainly in Hebrews 10, 11, 12, 14, and 18, how that worked
0: every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of god i need to stop here this is huge jesus's sacrifice is once for all time many christian denominations don't seem to accept this now paul we'll be focusing on the called out ones, continuing with verse 14 and 18. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Now where there is forgiveness, pardon, of these things, there is no longer an, any offering for sin.
2: That's great because here's the contrast. No one could keep that Old Testament law perfectly. So in order to have this standing before God, they had to offer continual sacrifices for sin. The law allowed for a kind of, we might call it a renewable forgiveness. And we compare that today to the software protection we buy for our computers. Every year we have to pay, renew it (laughs) to protect against viruses. Now Jesus comes along and says, I'll make it so that no virus will even exist. I will completely remove those sins that you inherited from Adam, allowing you to finally have a permanent relationship with God through me, Jesus.
1: And 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 we realize that that in its full application has not happened yet for the world. We'll see that in the millennial raising of the dead. That's where that has its full application. You won't need antivirus uh, software anymore because Jesus will have put the viruses away forever. That's a great, great illustration. This highest form of forgiveness in the Bible is only available from God through the blood of Jesus. It's only available from God through the blood of Jesus. And if you didn't hear me, it's only available from God through the blood of Jesus. This is a big, important point. This kind of forgiveness is, and you know you can fill in the blanks, Romans five eighteen. So then,
0: as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification, which means acquittal, of life to all men.
2: According to the Bible, what role does humanity play when it comes to this kind of forgiveness?
1: The role is immense, but the role is limited. All okay. of humanity has the amazing privilege of receiving this kind of forgiveness, but we are not capable, in God's eyes, of giving this kind of forgiveness. So this is a very, very important uh, point of demarcation. This is something that we all can receive, but it's beyond our capacity to give because we're in an imperfect state and you can't be pardoning in an imperfect state from God's eyes. So when we look at this, we're focusing in on the role that Jesus' blood plays, and it's very specific and it's very dramatic. So Jonathan, we're figuring out forgiveness. Where are we so far?
0: This comprehensive word for forgiveness means to pardon. In the Bible, it is never used in connection with us forgiving one another. Rather, it is only related to the pardon granted through Jesus' ransom sacrifice, which was given on behalf of all humanity. We only ever receive this forgiveness through Jesus, and we are never in a position to give it to anyone.
1: We need to understand that because it'll help us understand our role in being forgiven and in forgiving. It's inspiring to think that the Greek word for, uh, for forgiveness, meaning pardon, is exclusively used to relay the power of Jesus' sacrifice.
0: So, if we as Christians are not capable of pardoning other sins, what kind of forgiveness can we give? And
1: that's the question. Understanding what we're not capable of forgiving is the key for our comprehension of what we are capable of forgiving. Because the pardon that we receive through Jesus' sacrifice is related to our inherited sin in Adam, it's absolutely beyond our ability to offer. Our ability to forgive one another lies in a less potent, but still very powerful kind of forgiveness.
2: And what we're going to see is that we're we can't erase what happened, but we can still forgive. We can't erase, but we can replace. <laughs> um, but I've got a quick question. One one sacrifice was made for Adamic sin for all time. We get that. But how do we receive forgiveness for the sins that we commit as a result of our own thoughts, words, and actions, not just our inherited sin?
1: Well, the receiving of forgiveness for those sins is. By going to the throne of grace. You know, if you're a follower of Christ here and now, we have to go to the throne of grace and we have to ask. Because it's not like Jesus wiped out all of your sins so you can do whatever you want and it's automatically forgiven. That's not it at all. We need okay. to be constantly aware of the fact that we need continual forgiveness. And we'll find that that forgiveness is a little bit different. This is That is a sending away, as we will see as we unfold the words here.
0: We are talking about two Greek words for forgiveness in the New Testament. The first word means pardon or remission and refers only to Jesus. The second word we will talk about for forgiveness is the most broadly used word for forgiveness in the New Testament. This word has many shades of meaning. For example, it can mean to send forth, to send away, of a husband divorcing his wife, to disregard, to let go, give up a debt, to permit, allow, not to hinder, to give up a thing to a person. While it's used in a lot of different ways, it's mainly the act of sending something away from you.
1: And, and it is used. If you look at how this word is used in Scripture, you go, what, is that all the same mm-hmm. word, really? And the answer is yes. And But it's got this very strong sense of pushing something out of your radar how's that it's just so it's beyond where your your your, your life so to speak so the next two scriptures uh, we're going to look at are going to contrast that word for pardon that we talked about in the first segment that word that com- that shows the forgiveness of jesus with this particular word for sending away so both of these scriptures are the words of jesus all right, we'll first
2: look at the uh, Paul telling the story of his conversion on the road to Damascus to King Agrippa. You may recall how Paul told the story three different times in the book of Acts to three different audiences. He explains how he was walking along, saw a bright light, heard a voice from heaven identifying himself as Jesus, who asked, why? Why are you persecuting me? And of course, Paul had been attacking Christians. Jesus tells Paul that Paul had been appointed as a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you've seen, but to the things in which I will appear to you. Picking up with Paul telling us what Jesus said to him in Acts 26, 17, and 18.
0: Rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. That is the word we've used and we were talking about, meaning pardon, and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So,
1: Paul is given the mission to go to Gentiles and explain to them the blood of Jesus applies to you just like it applied to me that was his mission to get them to understand what that meant and how that was such a freeing thing both for christians in this age and for the rest of the world in the next age. so it's that's the full pardon that comes from jesus sacrifice
2: so for the second scriptures let's look at how jesus used it how jesus used this word forgiveness meaning to send away one day he was teaching people in a crowded room and even the scribes and pharisees were there listening men brought over a paralyzed man on a bed but the crowd was so big they couldn't get him through to see jesus in order to heal him so they lowered his bed through a portion of the roof and interrupted jesus's teaching luke 5 20 to 21.
0: seeing their faith he said friend your sins are forgiven you sent away the scribes and the pharisees began to reason saying who is this man who speaks blasphemies who can forgive sins send away but
1: God alone. This is interesting because Jesus doesn't, is not talking about the redemption through his blood. He's saying your sins are sent away. So what did he mean? This, this is important. It's different here. It's the sending away of sins by Jesus that, gives, that gave that individual and his friends, as well as us, a clearer path to God. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is your sins are forgiven. God is seeing you not through the lens of what you have done, but through the lens of what your faith in Jesus has opened up for you. So he's saying, I'm not going to look at that first. I'm pushing that aside so I can see you and you can see me. Now go and live a life of greater righteousness. So it's pushing the sins out of the way because there was a faith there that Jesus acknowledged and said, this is good. This is a, a way to grow in your life. I can push those sins aside because a man of faith, if you are really a man of faith... You are going to really try to not go back to those sins.
2: So, were these the the sins that he inherited through Adam, or are these his own sins? Oh no, these what, are, what was he forgiven? These
1: are his very own custom made sins. Oh yes. Okay.
2: So we have um, so so if we go back to the sins of Adam, Jesus took that place of Adam in death, and therefore mankind can be resurrected again in the future with an opportunity to not die again. But we still have to deal with the sins from that point on.
1: Yes.
0: This does not dissolve every consequence for every sin. This moves the sin out of the way. The sin doesn't have to stifle our progress anymore. We continue to take responsibility. We remember the example of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who Jesus proclaimed salvation has come to him and his household. What did Zacchaeus do? He restored money to those he overcharged four times more. He self-imposed his consequences and took personal responsibility.
1: That shows that man of faithfulness, you know, you, so, so you can see that faith plays such a big part in this sending away process. Now look, even though we are Jesus' disciples, and we've been pardoned for all of the previous sins by God's, by Jesus' ransom, you know, by God's plan through Jesus' ransom, we still need this kind of forgiveness. It doesn't mean that we're above sin. Oh, no, no, not at all. 1 John 1, 8, and 9 helps us see this very, very clearly.
0: If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to set them aside, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
1: Understanding the difference between pardon and the act of sending someone's sins away puts us in a position to learn how to be forgiving as we are forgiven. Again, we are, we are granted that pardon once we begin following Christ and we're given God's Spirit. That pardon is in place, but it doesn't lift us above the capacity to still be a sinful human being. God will, when we go to him, he will push those sins aside. We have that advocate, uh, Christ Jesus, that we go before God through, and that way he can continue to deal with us. We're covered. they're pushed out of the way so we can work and we can try and we can continue to grow.
2: We want to understand a little bit more about forgiveness and found an article called The Science of Forgiveness by Everett Washington Jr. Uh, from Virginia Commonwealth University. Just a few points that we learned from there is studies on forgiveness give us many models into how it works. and in general, forgiveness can be seen through two lenses. First, there's a decision to forgive that, turns on a light so to speak to reveal how it can be done the second lens is emotional forgiveness that seeks to replace unforgiving emotions with more positive ones in other words we make a decision and we follow through but why is this a big deal why do we even have to forgive each other why can't we just stew in it for a little while
1: (laughs) truthfully and honestly when you stew in it for a little while do you ever feel better a little bit. Does it change anything for the good? No. Do you grow?
2: Probably not. <laughs> Do you change? <laughs> probably Do you... shrink a little.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's the point. We need to forgive. First of all, because Jesus did. Okay. All right? End of story. Jesus did. We walk in his footsteps, therefore we must. And it's really, really, really that simple. He had that forgiving attitude toward those who yelled, crucify him. He had the forgiving attitude toward those soldiers who beat him and ridiculed him. He had that forgiving attitude to the people who spit on him. He, and if he did, we must. That's really what it comes down to. We need to follow our master in that. And it's an important, powerful, life-changing approach. Because as we will see, it releases you in a way that is not possible otherwise the following words of Jesus and we're gonna read from Matthew 6 these words show us how important it is to have a forgiving attitude uh, for for everyone and and you know Matthew 6 uh, verses 9 to 15 this beginning part is the is the Lord's Prayer
0: pray then in this way our Father who is in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil for if you forgive others for their transgressions your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others then your father will not forgive your transgressions
2: that's six forgives (laughs) i didn't realize there was so much forgiveness in these scriptures wow
1: and, and, you know, it's talking about the example of God forgiving us. We don't deserve the forgiveness, but he gives it to us anyway. We need to have that same kind of attitude. Now, it talks about forgiving us our debts, that which we owe. And it's not talking about money, but our sins and transgressions committed that take us out of balance with God. Sin always brings imbalance, when we go before God. We're always out of balance when we are in a sinful state. This forgiveness is applied to us as we apply it to others. So if I want to be in balance with God, I need to keep others in balance with me. That's really what's being said here. Our forgiving attitude towards others will influence God's forgiveness towards us.
2: Rick, in your opening statement, you raised an interesting question. What if I forgive, and I really mean it, but then I feel like I want to change my mind. Sometimes people don't act the way we expect, and maybe we let them off the hook, so to speak, just a little too soon.
1: Here's the key, as we will find. Forgiveness. When I forgive others, it's really not necessarily about them. It's about me. It's about me maintaining my balance before my Heavenly Father because I now have that forgiving attitude. So whether they respond or not, I can't change that. I can't. I can't say i can't change i should not change that forgiving attitude and if i begin to let it slip i have to look at myself and say why would god let it slip for me then why do i let it slip for that that person that brother or sister so it's about me that's really what it comes down to and and you know. There are several models for forgiveness in all kinds of studies. We just want to introduce one model of forgiveness, and it gives us four phases. And we're going to come back to this model a couple of times through the rest of the podcast.
0: The uncovering phase, understanding the offense and its impact.
2: The decision phase, that's where we intentionally choose a forgiving response.
0: The work phase trying to comprehend the why of the offense and seeing the offender as a sinful human.
2: Finally, we have the deepening phase where we find meaning and purpose in what we have suffered.
1: Uncovering, decision, work, and deepening. These are the four phases. And, and, and I want to tell you that I had 21 years ago a very hard, traumatic experience that taught me these phases, though I didn't know I was learning them. And that experience, which I'll get into a little bit later in the podcast, is my daughter, my youngest daughter, when she was only 15, was raped. And to be able to manage and deal with the person who perpetrated that upon her was a tremendous, tremendous challenge and learning experience for me. And we'll we'll, we'll unfold these phases in my own experience a little bit later in the podcast. But right now, Jonathan, we put it on the table. We're figuring out forgiveness. Where are we so far?
0: Understanding Christian forgiveness means realizing we cannot truly pardon someone before God, but we can send their sins sins against us away from us. This is usually a very difficult process that requires dedication and discipline. The New Testament clearly teaches us that being forgiving is a major part of
1: our Christian character because that's how Jesus was. And we are disciples of Christ, being forgiving, major part of our Christian character. As we see our responsibility to have a forgiving attitude develop, it can be both a scary proposition as well as an exciting challenge.
0: So, do our responsibilities towards forgiveness work the same with
1: everybody? Should we be forgiving others no matter what? Well, hang on. The Bible does show us different applications of forgiveness that are directly related to the parties involved. As Christians, our responsibilities and interactions with fellow Christians are on a very different level than those who are unbelievers. As we unfold this, we begin with scriptural guidance regarding forgiveness related to fellow believers. So, What we're going to do at this moment is say, okay, let's just look at our fellow believers. How do we handle the forgiveness interactions with those who have the same kind of faith that we do?
0: Let's put the phases together. Let's start with the uncovering phase, understanding the offense and its impact
2: we acknowledge that we can be hurt by our fellow disciples. And as we uncover those hurts, we want to do so with godliness in our hearts and minds, remembering Matthew 5, 3 to 9.
0: Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be
1: called the children of God. And you look at these verses and you say, it doesn't talk about forgiveness here. No, but it talks about all of the ingredients that go into forgiveness. Poor in self-spirit, they that mourn, meek, uh, hungering after righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker. These are the things we want to uncover the sins that we need to deal with and by keeping these things in mind.
2: Another great scripture for this is Philippians 4, 8, where we are to think on things that are true, honorable, pure, praiseworthy, and so on, where we don't just acknowledge these things, we want to dwell on them, not on how much someone has infuriated us. <laughs> we don't want to approach forgiveness with anger or indifference, and Jesus more than tolerated those who offended him, He died for them. And that is something that if we keep in the front of our minds, maybe it will help us get over the the hurt.
0: Well, here's how this verse struck me. The one I'm upset with is blessed. They deserve mercy like I do. They are a son of God. How do I approach one of the Lord's dearest? This is who I'm dealing with. This won't lessen
1: the wrong, but it reframes the wrong so what you're saying is you take this verse and you say so and so is blessed because they're poor in spirit because they mourn because they're meek because they hunger after righteousness and it puts them in a whole different light doesn't it it
0: does and
1: this is how we want to begin to uncover the difficulty of the sins that we have to deal with because look we are imperfect we don't treat each other well all the time and sometimes we say and do things that are wrong they're just plain wrong And we need to learn how to deal with those things.
2: Let's move on to the decision phase. Remember, that was intentionally choosing, uh, intentionally choosing a forgiving (laughs) response.
0: This decision should not be a selfishly driven decision, but instead driven by agape love. This changes everything.
2: We've talked before on the podcast about needing to have forbearance. This word means to hold back on collecting that which is rightfully owed to us. It's part of Christian development and it's it's a defining characteristic of discipleship and of selfless love. So Jonathan, let's go to that well-known scripture from the love chapter, as it's called, 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 to 7.
0: Love is patient, and this word means forbearance. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all
1: things. So when we looked at the uncovering phase, we said, okay, let's go to the Beatitudes and have that in our hearts and minds. Now we're at the decision phase. Am I going to forgive? Am I really going to forgive? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. Let's look at this selfless love and forbearance as driving forces in our forgiveness, not because God made me do it, but it's because this is what I do as a disciple of Christ because that's what He did. Let's decide to be forgiving in spirit and in action. Let's take a look at Luke 17, three to four.
0: Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, this word means to think differently, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him.
1: Our agape love decision to pursue forgiveness with those of the brotherhood should be most highly driven, most highly driven by the need to regain our relationship and secondarily to display by the need to display our hurt we need to understand it is important to say that hurt me it was really important to be able to say that but the primary reasoning needs to be our relationship we cherish that relationship and we want to maintain and preserve it and and by being honest and forthright in communicating is how we do it
0: next the work phase trying to comprehend the why of the offense, and seeing the offender as a sinful human.
2: With Agape Love in Place, we want to completely respect our fellow disciples by bringing the wrong to them quietly and honorably.
0: This work phase is hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. Confrontation is uncomfortable, but something very necessary, and better than letting resentment build. Let's read Matthew 18, 15-17, starting with verse 15. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother.
1: So, so pause right there because that is such a profound statement. If your brother sins and this has affected you negatively, you go to your brother. You don't go. I I don't tell Julie. Hey, you know what Jonathan did? I go directly to my brother. No, I,
0: don't tell her. I, well, and that's <laughs> the what did point. he do?
1: Well, but see, that's the point. And if you go to your brother. And, and he listens. You've won your brother. You've accomplished the Jesus-like response to sin. I mean, how beautiful is that? Now, look, it doesn't always work that simply, that easily. So this Matthew 18 helps us understand the importance of communicating and following through with appropriateness and spiritual wisdom. Jonathan, let's read the, the other verses, verses 16 and 17.
0: But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector.
1: So what is this saying? It's telling us that if there's a sin that is so deep and so wrong, and somebody's saying, forget it, I'm not doing it, I'm not touching it, you know, it was all your fault, whatever they're doing, if we approach it with, appropriateness and spirituality and and folks this requires deep wisdom to do this this is not just a simple little process like i'm going to check the box and then check the next box and check the next box this is with fear and trepidation that we do these things because the point is what to expose your brother no the point is to win your brother back and if we lose that point then we're not following the scripture that's the point point. We have to have that forgiving attitude so we can approach with the, with the thought of bringing them back to us so we can maintain that, that communication. Jesus illustrated the magnitude of God's forgiveness as an example of what our forgiveness should look like. Let's look at Matthew 18, a little bit further in Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22.
0: Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Incidentally, if you are actually counting how many times (laughs) you are offended by your brother, that isn't agape love. You know, that's resentment.
1: It is. And we have to be very, very careful. The whole point of going to your brother, your brother should know better. You should know better. You're, You're at a higher level. You're in Christ. And we should be able to, and I say should with air quotes, because sometimes we get stuck in our own immaturity and our own insecurity, and we avoid the communication necessary. Jesus is telling us that forgiveness is a commitment of magnitude, and it's a commitment of patience, and it's for the purpose of reestablishing one with another.
2: So let's, let's move on to um, the parable of the ungrateful servant, Uh, This showed how a servant who owed much to his master pleaded for mercy. The context of this parable is a servant is owed a great deal to his master and he couldn't pay. And the master's initial response was to put the debtor and his whole family into servitude until the debt was paid in full. Now the master obviously represents God, and this is going to show us his forbearance. Let's start with Matthew 18, 26 to 27.
0: So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience or forbearance with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave
1: him that debt. Patience or long-suffering is a willingness to be non-reactive and appropriate. And you can't get to really Sincere forgiveness, sending away without being non-reactive and being appropriate. It also tells us to be willing to wait for a situation to completely unfold, to be disciplined, to be holding back. This patience gives the benefit of the doubt. It's another key factor in true forgiveness and sending away, giving the benefit of the doubt and can only truly be displayed by humanity through a humble spirit. It always comes back to the same thing. Get out of your own way. Rick, get out of your own way and see your brother or your sister as the child of God through Christ. For goodness sakes, and then approach with the with the idea of 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 bringing things back together.
2: Getting back to the parable, things go pretty wrong when that same servant who was forgiven his debt went out and mercilessly demanded repayment of this tiny little debt from a fellow servant. The unforgiving servant threatens his debtor with jail, but shows no mercy. And the master hears of this and immediately gives him serious consequences. So what's the lesson?
0: Matthew 18, 35. And this is from the Young's Literal Translation. So also my heavenly Father will do to you, if ye may not forgive each one of his brother from the hearts their trespasses. Well, the work of forgiveness from a perspective of agape love is challenging, but necessary.
2: Mm. Rick, what if the person who wronged us doesn't repent? They don't ask for our forgiveness or make any efforts to make things right. Do we still... Do we still have to? I meant, are we supposed to still
1: forgive them? Well, I like the way you put it the first time. It's like, Do I have to? Well, and and, see, that's where our, our humanity goes. Do I really have to? Here's the thing, Julie. To me, it comes down to having a forgiving attitude. I can't control them. I can't. But I can control me by God's grace. And if God's Spirit is working in me, Really, what I want to be focusing on is something higher. Do I want this person's sin against me to dominate my everyday life, or do I want to be able to put it far enough away from me so I can have my thinking circle and focus in and and pay attention to sanctified things—the Word of God, the Word of Truth, the, the 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 trials of the brotherhood, witnessing to the gospel, all of those good things. If if I take that person's lack of response, and put it right in front of me, I have just taken something ungodly and put it as my main focus. Is God pleased with that? I think that Jesus would want us to say, you can't control it. God will judge, but you can control what you think about. And that's why our forgiving is sending away. It's sending away.
2: Here, uh, let's go next, the Apostle Paul is commenting on the human propensity to claim what's mine in dealing with the brotherhood, 1 Corinthians 6, 6-8. to
1: And this is the deepening phase, okay? So this is finding meaning and purpose in what we've suffered.
0: And finding meaning means finding spiritual meaning. It does not mean gaining satisfaction. For
1: us, it's a higher meaning, isn't it? Go ahead, I'm sorry, let's go to that scripture, 1 Corinthians 6, 6-8, because the Apostle Paul is making a—this isn't a happy scripture, Jonathan, this is not one of those that you like to quote to everybody.
0: No, it's not. But brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers? Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary,
1: you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren? And Julie, this is very similar to to the question that you asked before. Well, what if? What if they're they're, they're not budging? And the apostle says, okay, take the wrong. Why do you make a spectacle between members of the body of Christ before the world? That is not the way. We need to be higher than that. We need to be able to rise above that. Take the wrong. What does that mean? It means to send away. Send the wrong away from you and be able to rise above it. And that's a form of that forgiving attitude that we've been talking about. It's such an important principle, and it's all over Scripture. It's all over what Jesus taught us. All true Christians should have a patience that can be readily observed by anyone. Philippians 4, 4-7.
0: Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.
2: I think what this is saying is we should wear on the outside what agape love produces on the inside.
0: And we have to see the brotherhood through the eyes of agape love.
2: That reminds me of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, where he said, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He would look really beyond and overlook these things to see only Jesus in their lives.
1: So what you're saying is he sent away all of the fleshliness. <laughs> he did, yes, so yes. that he could see the spirituality. You see that forgiving attitude has to permeate. It doesn't use the word, but it permeates Every aspect of our Christian life, our evenness, like the Apostle Paul in that script you just talked about, depends upon our continually resetting what we allow our minds to dwell upon. Let's go to First Peter 1,
0: 6-7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which perishable even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ.
2: That brings us to a mirror question. When you read, so that the proof of your faith, you would ask, am I, in dealing with my issues, working towards being purified by fire and removing those impurities so that my faith is shown to be more precious than gold? Am I in a place where I need to forgive Or am I in a place where my brother won't forgive me? We've got to remember that other side of this, too. Our eternal purpose is always going to be higher and bigger than the event that's bothering us. That's crucial.
1: And that's a big statement. Our eternal purpose is always bigger. It's always more important than the momentary event. So, Jonathan, we're figuring out forgiveness. What have we figured out so far?
0: People say forgive and forget as imperfect humans, the forgetting part is hard enough. Instead of forgetting, what if we look at the forgiveness we are giving as an exercise in Christ-likeness for the purpose of lifting everyone Mm -hmm. higher and leaving the judging to God? How about forgive, forbear, and forge ahead?
1: It's a lot more sensible to look at it this way, to forgive, to hold back, and then to forge ahead, because that's The way we're taught to do it in christ forgive forbear and forge ahead working at practicing forgiveness on this level it actually it changes everything it now truly becomes about me and my brother growing in christ
0: what about forgiveness regarding those who are not disciples of christ what should we do what should we avoid
1: Forgiving in these experiences does have the same basic principles, but it does work differently on some levels. The fundamental difference here is interacting with those who are not spiritually enlightened versus those who are walking the same road that we walk. Our Christian forbearance that is driven by agape, selfless love, must be very present in all of these circumstances.
2: Rick, let me just ask you a a real quick question. How do we know who is someone who is our brother versus someone who is not our brother, so to speak? I mean, do we have to sit here and judge who has a deep enough devotion to God to decide which side this goes on and this is a question that just came into us from a listener
1: so i would say that that has to come based on someone's profession if they if they are a church member along with you they go to church with you or to bible study with you and they proclaim to be a follower of christ they're your brother if they proclaim to be approaching unto christ because they see it very very seriously then i would consider in in that same type of relationship it's those who really don't care or maybe show up once and say, Lan, that's not for me. Th- those are the ones that are outside of that relationship. So th- that was a, a really, really good question.
2: So we can be, I speak from experience, we can be really shaken by some powerful reactions when we get wronged. And we're like, he hurt me or she betrayed me or I was taken advantage of or slandered. And these can be utterly debilitating. Betrayal Is shocking it's painful and in many cases it's life-altering so what do we do
0: there are no scriptures that tell us to require repentance from those who are outside of the brotherhood why with a higher relationship comes higher expectations and higher accountability let's look at Matthew 6 14 and 15 for if you forgive others for their transgressions your Heavenly Father will also forgive you But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions.
1: There's a simple equation here. Be forgiving because God is forgiving. And so we want to take that basic principle and say, okay, let's use that principle and look at those around us.
0: Okay, let's go back to the phases. The first, the uncovering phase,
1: understanding the offense and its impact. Okay, before we get into this, I want to start to tell this story. I, I actually don't want to tell it, but I feel compelled to tell it. Um, this this happened uh, 21 years ago, and uh, it's like it happened yesterday when I start to really, really think deeply about it. Uh, the uncovering phase: understand the offense and its impact. Well, first of all, that was pretty easy. The man raped my 15-year-old daughter. He hurt her. He hurt her physically. He hurt her emotionally. He created tragedy for her mentally. He damaged our family. We went through years of, of trying to put life back together. This was an amazing trauma, and it was angering. I'm a dad, and when you hurt my child, I get mad. And in that uncovering phase, I will tell you, There was anger. There was seething anger under the surface. Now, I didn't show it to anybody because they didn't need that, but I was angry. I was mad. This was a raw and overwhelming time because there was a gross sin that broke my child and it severely damaged our family.
2: It With something like that, it seems impossible to have godliness in our hearts and minds, but we can be hurt by these experiences from people in the world as we uncover these hurts. That's exactly what we have to do with godliness, Romans 5, 6 to 8.
0: For while we are still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet
1: sinners, Christ died for us. This was important for me in that experience because I had to look at that experience and say to myself, Rick, Christ died for him exactly as much as he died for me, because that's the truth. And that helped me to not react, but it certainly didn't change everything immediately. But it was a principle that held me steady as I uncovered this thing. Remember, Jesus loves him like he loves me. He died for him like he died for me. That's the truth. That is the bottom line scriptural truth. That is unequivocal truth. You can't challenge that on any level. And that was something that helped to balance in that uncovering phase, what was I going to do?
2: Mm. Well, that brings us right to the decision phase, which is intentionally choosing a forgiving response.
1: Now, to intentionally choose a forgiving response, I will tell you unequivocally in this experience, God intervened for my best benefit and the benefit of my family, because I was pressed into choosing that forgiving response because what happened is after the incident and you know we've reported it to the police and you've got all of this stuff we've been to the hospital and 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 i'm sitting with my family around our, our kitchen table and this is a sad difficult moment and my son who is is the oldest and he was i think 17 or 18 at the time and he, he'd have flattened anybody who'd gotten in his way he was very sick so he by God's grace, couldn't do anything. But we're sitting at the table trying to talk through this, and he gets a phone call. Now, he can't hear out of his right ear because he's sick, so he holds it up to his left ear. I happen to be sitting on his left side so I could hear everything on the phone call. Chance? No. Providence. And I hear this deep voice. My son didn't even know who it was, saying, I understand you have a a problem that needs fixing. I had a choice in that moment because I heard those words, and my gut reaction is, good. Go fix it. And then I thought to myself, I can't do that. I can't do that for the sake of my daughter, for the sake of my family, for the sake of my Christianity, for the sake of all that is righteous, I can't do that. And I looked at my son and I pointed to him and I said, Tim, you call off the dogs and you call them off now. And he looked at me and I said, now. And he said, no, no, whoever it was, he said, no, back off. And, And so he got off the phone and I looked at my family and I said, we're gonna do this right. We're going to hold on to the legal process. We are going to go through the legal process and let the law decide what's going to happen here. That was the decision. And because I said it, I had to do it. And the Lord gave me that strength in that way to rise maybe to a level that I wouldn't have otherwise. So for me, the decision was do it the right way, be righteous, because that is the only God-honoring way to respond.
0: In this de- decision phase, Rick, I can't believe how strong and, and how much you lean on the Lord to, to hold on, but uh, thank you for your example. You know, we should not be selfishly driven, you know, in this, in our, the de- decision phase, but instead driven by agape love. And I think that's what you did.
2: And you really, you lived your principles because the difference between love based upon principle and other love is that principled love has no conditions. Right. It's exhibited under any and all conditions and doesn't demand repayment. This is what you did.
0: Tried to. <laughs> Tried to. Let's read Luke six twenty seven through 31. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not
1: ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So, so what does this mean? This is focused on our enemies and those who hurt us in various ways, who are of the world, and Jesus is telling us to love, bless, and be humble. While this scripture does not say forgive specifically, it does say to love based on principle, and that is to send away.
2: But can we still love and yet hold a grudge? (laughs) I know Jesus never held grudges against the people who hurt him, but he didn't necessarily go out of his way to favor anyone other than his small inner circle. He didn't try to get his enemies to love him. He didn't obsess over it like we might.
1: To me, the question, can we still love and hold a grudge? The measure of the grudge that you hold proportionally diminishes the selflessness of the love that you give. So if you're going to hold a a, a grudge, you are not loving selflessly. It's just, by definition, it's not possible. Forgiveness, sending someone's sins away from you, isn't reconciliation, and it isn't pardon. And this is helpful, was helpful for me to understand. Forgiving a worldly, unbelieving person is likely not going to bring reconciliation, but it can free us from their sin. And that's the key here. That is really the key. We can be freed from the sins of others if we are willing to send them away with righteousness and love and compassion
0: next the work phase trying to comprehend the why of the offense and seeing the offender as a sinful
1: human okay let me get back to the story the work phase and Jonathan you said it before this is the hard 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 phase so I told my family unequivocally we're going to rely on the legal system you know what happened next this guy left the country he fled the country so now there's no legal system to rely upon. Now what? Well, we're left knowing that we will not find justice because he went to a different country. And so my only choice at that point was to know that healing never came, comes through anger. It never comes through revenge. It only comes through acceptance of the fact that something happened and the hard work of growing through the trauma. And so in my personal attempt to manage this unmanageable circumstance, we just focused on the the healing of our family. And I dedicated much of my time to my daughter. I mean, I would pick her up every day after school. I changed my entire life, my work schedule, because she was so broken, we almost lost her a few times after that. It was so devastating. And our family though was the most important thing. That guy and what he had done and the fact that justice was out of reach, it didn't matter so much because what mattered was the well-being of our family. And so the work stage didn't go the way I expected because you didn't get the closure that you wanted, but it went in a different way and we learned lessons that we needed, not in a way that we expected. And that included forgiving. That included sending away, and I'll I'll, I'll, I'll expand that when we get to the deepening phase.
2: So we've talked so much about this agape love, no matter what happens. We respect those as individuals because Jesus died for them too. I mean, it sounds a little trite now because we've said it so many times, but this is it. This is is the the crux of it.
0: Whether we can or cannot bring the wrong to them, we need to retain an attitude that is honorable before God, even if we feel like we want to get back at them. Romans twelve seventeen through 19. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord.
2: What if we don't actually do anything to that person who wronged us, but in our minds, Let's just say we wouldn't be sad if something bad happened to them. (laughs) Isn't that, did you ever entertain that kind of thought? And is that still paying back evil for evil?
1: (laughs) It is paying back evil for evil. And yes, I entertained those thoughts a lot and had to say to myself, brother, that's not a Jesus thought process. It's not a, a, a discipleship direction that you're going with those thoughts. Cleanse your heart and mind. See that person as one who Jesus died for. And leave it at that, because that's what Jesus did. And then he died, and then he was raised. And then that reconciliation, that opportunity comes to everybody. God's forbearance reminds us that we are sinful and that he loved us first. Romans 2, 1, 2, and 4.
0: Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, which is forbearance, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to you, leads you to
1: repentance? You see, do you take lightly the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience toward you? How could you not then apply it to somebody else? This, these kinds of things screamed in my ears during this Really difficult time. God dramatically shows us his forbearance. His spirit within us will help us rise above, rise above our fleshly desires as we face the prospect of letting someone's sins no longer hurt us. And that's what forgiveness is sending it away so it no longer can hurt you.
2: And finally, Rick, at some point, you and your daughter had to go through this deepening phase where you find meaning and purpose in the suffering. How did that happen?
1: Well, that it took a long time. But that is exactly what happened. And to, to make it very blunt, what happened was, we, I did, my daughter did, and I think my family did as well, we evicted this man from our hearts and minds. He no longer had a place, he no longer belonged, he no longer had influence. And when we evicted him, when we sent the sin away, because it was the sin that we were throwing away. He still is a, is a is, is, Jesus died for him still. But when we did that, it made it so that we could see life and see good again and see growth again. And time deepens. Time deepens what we focus on. It really does. And if we're focusing on the wrong things, it gets deeper and it holds on. But if we focus on growing and maturing and godliness, it gets bigger and it gets stronger. My daughter, Amy, over all of these years has grown into a tremendously strong individual. She's actually writing a book now about the experience because her object is, I want to help others. One of the things that she and I talked about during this, and I would tell her constantly, even though I didn't know the end result, is I would would say, Amy, I said, one day you will become, you're, you're a survivor. You will become an overcomer you will be an overcomer of this, not merely a survivor. Too often, we settle into surviving, but by God's grace, we can be overcomers. And that's what she has become. And I will tell you that in my own experience, in my own mind, I can't, and I know this will never happen, but I, I, I have many times in the past envisioned talking to this man across the table and telling him exactly what happened and exactly how much he hurt and destroyed my daughter and our family and the, and, the, and the havoc that his bad, awful, dark, sinful, greedy, lustful things created in us. And to tell him that, but that, ha, that is no longer of effect to us. We're done. We're over it. You, on the other hand, because you ran and you did not meet justice, you should suffer the consequences of what you did. Not because I'm angry, but because it's right. Right. That's how I put forgiveness in place in this particular circumstance. So the deepening phase is a very, it's a long process, but you can get above it, and then you live beyond the sin, and by God's grace, there's light, and there's fresh air, and there's growth, and there's maturity on the other side.
0: Finding meaning means finding spiritual meaning, and Rick, that's what you did. It does not mean gain satisfaction, Mm -hmm. and I'm glad you did not, strive for
2: that yeah, it's easy to observe someone's sins against us or our own frustration over our poor response to it through the eyes of should have And I'm, I'm glad you didn't have too many regrets in the way you handled things because Jesus didn't see the sin through the eyes of should have
1: yeah yeah
0: let's read first Peter 2 21 through 23 for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps Who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth and while being reviled he did not revile in return while suffering he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously
1: that's the model that's the model and when you say wow Rick what a great job no 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 it's following that scripture it's following Jesus' example, who was to love without, being it, without it being returned. He was giving without receiving. He was suffering without retaliating. And he was relying on God's ultimate judgment. Let's follow those footsteps. Send those sins away from you so they don't dominate you. Let God be the judge, and you grow in grace and strength. Final scripture, Jonathan, 1 Peter 2.12.
0: Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation.
1: Glorify God. You see the point? All that we do is for the good of everyone, and that's why this idea of forgiveness is such a powerful principle. Finally, Jonathan, forgive, forbear, and forge ahead.
0: As Christians, our lives are to be guided by standards that are lofty and beyond the understanding of those in the world. We are to the best of our ability, see with God's eyes, responding with godly character, and walk where and how Jesus walked. Let us embrace the profound value of forgiveness not only as a principle, but appropriately applied as an action of godly grace. And back to our original question, how do I know if I have really forgiven someone? Well, for me, When a family member or worldly person wrongs or hurts me, what I want is the best for them throughout eternity. That's how I know I have forgiven them.
1: Amen, brother. Amen. That is the big lesson here as we look at this huge, huge subject of forgiveness and what we can and cannot do and the responsibility we have to have that forgiving heart attitude and forgiveness in our minds and apply it where it's appropriate and send those sins away so we can stand on the ground of Christ's righteousness without all that evil and mess clouding our minds and our hearts and our thinking. We want to forgive appropriately, just like Jesus did. Think about it. Folks, we love hearing from our listeners. We welcome your feedback and questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Coming up in our next episode, is the Jewish nation really God's chosen nation? Talk to you about that next week.